Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone This is Book Talk by our friend Lewis Brought to you by MJ Network in memory of my sister Marsha Joyce and we have the author of Echo from a Bio here. Let me just read you something from the back cover. John Bastian is plunged into a dangerous journey to uncover the truth about his past life as Jack Bachman after a skiing accident unlocks hidden memories with unshakable visions of a bloody axe, ooh, a treasure of gold coins and a red-headed woman, John sets out on a journey to find answers and confront the man who murdered him in his past life. Interesting. But I'm not going to tell you any more because the author is here. Good morning and welcome to MJ Network. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. That was good. Excellent. Thanks for having I, me. I try. You know, you got to have a sense of humor in this world, though. What's the point? Oh, of course. <laughs> it, yeah, otherwise it can be a little overwhelming sometimes. You got that. So the first scene really got me, I have to tell you. Um, creating the scene on the gondola such a, such a chain of events that will unravel the reality of one man. How and why did you create John Bastian? Oh, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I just sat down one day and started uh, started writing the story. Uh, I was going through some personal um, issues myself with, uh, mm. with alcohol and, and uh, my, my my relationship with my wife, and uh, mm. thought it was kind of therapeutic to kind of put it all on the on the paper in a fictional world. And um, yeah, it was uh, actually a lot of it kind of started. I was at my I was at a <laughs> I'm in therapy. And I was just talking about, uh, you know, dying and fear of death and normal things like that. And I go, well, nobody really knows what happens when you die. You know, people have faith and they have theories mm-hmm. and this and that. Maybe it's something, maybe it's nothing. And she goes, oh, I know exactly what happens when you die. And I'm like, you do? <laughs> uh, tell me. And she went on with this whole thing about reincarnation. Mm-hmm. Which you know, of course, initially I I rejected, and uh, there's a whole there's a scene in the book that kind of mimics uh, my experience with her on that, and she gave me some books to read, and I, I found the whole thing kind of fascinating, and I thought that would be a, a fun uh, fictional core for a story. Well, actually, the book that I was telling you about about Houdini believes in that also reincarnation, and they believe that he came back too. <laughs> And I know other yep, people yep. that do, so it's it's not so far-fetched, to tell you the truth. Yeah, so, and I and I talk about this in the book, too. I mean, it's uh, yeah. if you look around you, everything happens in cycles. Uh, all energy is vibrating, mm-hmm. which is a form of cycles. You know, we breathe in, we breathe out. When we walk, we go left mm-hmm. foot, right foot. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. We're going around the sun. 
as a planet, everything's in cycles. So why would the human existence be kind of you're born and you die and that's it? Why would be why would it be one and done? It's not consistent with everything else that we notice. I don't know what happens, but I thought that would be a fun fictional story. Um, you know, you know, what if you were murdered in your past life and you and you all of a sudden remembered who murdered you? You know, you'd want to go on that journey. At least I would. Me too, without a doubt. Yeah. And I often yeah. wonder why it happens anyway. I mean, seriously, I look up in the sky in the morning, and it's funny, funny, and I say if the clouds are pink, because my sister loves pink, that I know she's there watching over me, and she's going to guide me through yeah. my day. It sounds <laughs> crazy, but it does it does help, let me tell you. But it helps. It helps you get through the day, and that's it. You know that's uh, that's important for all of us. Life, life is well, stressful describe, enough as it is. Tell me about it. Describe the skiing accident and why John was disoriented. Well, I would imagine he would be after that. Sure. Yeah. So he, he the, the story starts with him and his best friend Kevin. They're on a bucket list uh, mm-hmm. task to go up to Mammoth Mountain, California, and go skiing. And uh, John starts out, you know, he's basically an alcoholic and he's depressed and he sees everything through a lens of, you know, sadness and disdain. And, um, he goes up, uh, to the top of a mountain and he says, uh, oh, they're, they're on their way up to the top of the mountain. And he basically, without getting into too much detail, he watches a man die and that kind of shakes him up a little bit. And, uh, uh, he pushes himself. Uh, there's a storm coming in, and he's down, going down the, the ski slope, and he's going too fast because he's he's pushing himself past his boundaries, and he hits a you know he hits a tree, and he basically goes into a coma, and mm. uh, that would disorient anybody. There's a, there's basically like blizzard whiteout conditions, and I I've been at Mammoth, and I've I've skied in in blizzard conditions, and you can't see very far in front of you, uh, so you can't go very fast. Uh, but he mm. did that anyway, and then he went out of bounds and he hit a tree. Sometimes very, people very take chances reasonable. and they don't realize. They don't realize yeah. it. I know. So he's in the hospital, and why yeah. John Jack has two lives, especially that he didn't know that he had two of them. So uh, it's part of the research that I've done, Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's been shows about this. You can go online and look this up. It's a it's a real world phenomenon about children who have uh, they wake up with night terrors, uh, mm-hmm. having uh, visions and memories of past lives. They know things that they're not supposed to know. And these are kids ages you know five, six, and under. And the theory is that uh, when you die from a traumatic event in a past life, those those memories or that energy kind of carries forward to you, and you're born with these memories kind of hard-coded into your subconscious, if you will. And, you, you, you know, you start living your life, you're born, and you're one, and you're two, and you're three, and then you get to be four or five, and you have these, you're sleeping, and these memories from your past life kind of come back to you. And mm. it's a, it's a, again, it's a phenomenon. I can't say with any level of certainty I know why this happens, and everybody has a different theory, and it's kind of out of alignment with most um, religions, but it does happen. So I thought, uh, you know, and, and then the, the memories kind of disappear by the time the kids are age five or six. So I thought, well, maybe what if, you know, 
fiction, or you can have you can have some artistic exercise liberty here. What mm-hmm. if we all have these memories from one or more past lives, and they're kind of locked in our subconscious, and we don't remember them? But if you go into a coma and you have you know head trauma and you unlock uh, memories, then you would effectively have two sets of memories. You'd have the memories from your current life, and then you'd have memories from your most recent past life. That would be weird, right? That would be weird. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what we put our protagonist through in the story. Well, I have to tell you, my nephew's going through that right now. He was in a hiking accident in from school uh, two weeks ago from Shoresville, the high school, and he was just walking, and his foot slipped and he fell 30 feet, and he oh, went wow. into yeah went into a coma and all of that oh, and. Yeah, he says, sometimes I just don't remember. Sometimes I remember things that I don't know is what they're telling me. And I don't want to speak to him yet because he still has, you know, brain damage and all sorts of stuff. But the fact that he's even pulling through and his his crazy aunt over here sends him poems every day. (laughs) Oh, nice. So that they they, they read them to him. And I told him, your school said they're warriors. I said, no, you're the warrior because... You believe in who you are, and he just says he he says he remembers things he doesn't know why. So maybe right. someday I'll get down to sit down and talk. So who is Scott sure. Jones, and what is the history of the treasure? That was really interesting. Yeah, uh, good question. So Scott Jones is our antagonist, and and I didn't mm. want to have him be the typical mustache twisting bad guy uh yeah. put quite a bit of effort into in bringing him you know to life three dimensionally and things like that and uh yeah he was um jo- uh, jacks you know john is the name of the guy the uh, protagonist in this life and his past life was jack and scott and jack were best friends they were both uh pilots and uh, they were hunting for a, a multi-billion-dollar gold uh, treasure of gold coins that was lost in the mid-19th century in mm. uh, Louisiana, supposedly. And Louisiana, by the way, in, in the real world, is a hotbed for um, treasure hunters because uh, any the law in Louisiana is anything you find, you get to keep it. It's not like that everywhere so uh, in the world. So mm. Louisiana, if you want to. And there's been a lot of uh, treasures lost over the years. Lots of um, theories and stories and legends have built up. So I went ahead and kind of took took one of them and uh, built it up a little bit and kind of uh, took, again, some artistic license, fabricated kind of a cursed gold treasure that these two gentlemen were both hunting for. Uh, but it's cursed. It's a cursed treasure. And uh, if you get a little too close to it, you start going insane. And Scott ended up uh, murdering his best friend uh, with an axe. And those are those are some of the memories that uh, John and this current life uh, ends up having memories of. That's scary. But when he tells the <laughs> nurse his name is Jack and tells about Tammy... What sets him off in a different direction, and how does she react? That's that's wild. Yeah, so, you know, if you're from Louisiana, you're going to talk with a little bit of a Louisiana accent. You're not going to sound like you're from the Bronx or California. You're going to have a little bit of a, mm-hmm. a little sound a little bit different. And so he wakes up as Jack, and he has a Louisiana accent. And he has um, uh, personality characteristics of being autistic on the spectrum mm-hmm. 
which is which is important for me to kind of sprinkle in some autism awareness into this story. So I figured mm-hmm. he, today John is from California. He sounds like a Californian, kind of like me, uh, and he doesn't have autism. But when he wakes up, he's 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 essentially Jack for all intents and purposes. He's got a Louisiana accent. He's got uh, personality traits and behavioral traits of uh, being autistic. And he thinks that he's still alive. He's he's talking about his wife and the treasure that they're going after, as though you know thirty years had not passed. He just he just mm. woke up, and he's like that for a couple of couple of minutes. And the nurse kind of documents all this, and then he sort of snaps out of it and goes back to being John Bastian <clears throat> with his California accent and no autistic uh, traits and things like that. So yeah, she was kind of uh, taken aback with with all that. And same thing with the doctor who ended up uh, coming in, Dr. Willis. That is so scary. And autism is important and people need to be more aware of it. And they need to understand that children that are autistic are really very bright and they need to not classify them as handicapped or mentally handicapped because they're really not. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. It's a... It's a, it's a it. it's, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's right. It's just so sad that people just don't understand. They really don't. Well, there's uh, there's a lot of um, darkness out there, and every time yeah. we have an opportunity, I think, to shed some light on on our friends who are on the spectrum, uh, it helps. And so that mm-hmm. was one of the, the purposes of this book. If you read it, you'll have a little bit more of an understanding of what autism is. Uh, it's that's it's that's not necessarily people who like uh, the Tom Cruise, Dustin Hoffman movie, Rain Man. That's like mm-hmm. a savant. Uh, that's that's you know there are people like that obviously, but that's that's not what most autistic people. Uh, that's not their behavior. Uh, but yeah, they're uh, they're learning a lot more about it, and we need to have compassion and understanding for our friends who are on the spectrum. It's uh, and there's nothing. It's not something you can cure. It's like. Um, if you're five feet tall, you can't be seven feet tall. If you're seven feet tall, you can't be five feet tall. It's just a, it's a physical trait. Uh, it is what it is, and and it's not a handicap like you said. Uh, they usually, um, no. and it's a spectrum, and everybody's different. So um, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating uh, topic. I, I can keep talking if, if you want about that, but that's. I thought it would be fascinating to kind of put that in, just sprinkle it in as part of the story. I was glad you did because my nephew is autistic and he's 14 years old and you wouldn't know the difference. Never a million years would you know. That's He's amazing. And I was like, yeah, I know you are, but he doesn't talk about it either. He just goes about doing everything. So he sees a little boy. Why ghosts? It's like, oh my God! You know, I, I I was writing the story, and I I just I have my muse like all authors do, and I was just channeling the story, and that's what popped into my head was mm. I was writing that scene where he woke up from the uh, John woke up from the coma, and he's there with the doctor, and a little boy comes in. I thought that, and that was kind of creepy to me to write that scene because John could see the little boy, but the doctor couldn't. And yeah. uh, the little boy is the son of the doctor who died, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. And he's answering these questions, and it's freaking the doctor out because, you know, her son died in that same hospital room where John woke up from his coma. And um, mm-hmm. the the boy has a message for the doctor. Um, he didn't die the way she thinks he died. 
And that's another kind of subplot in the story. That would scare anybody, to tell you the truth. Sure. Yeah. So who so who is Margaret? Supernatural, supernatural. Yeah, I know. I love uh, Margaret is Margaret is uh, a very minor character. She doesn't have any role, any speaking mm-hmm. lines. She's just part of uh, uh, John's backstory. It's his uh, ex-wife. He had a lot of them. Tell us about Kevin and what does he mean by the treasure? What does it consist of? I read that. I go like, whoa! Not a bit. I could understand why people went after it. That I could understand just by what what was there. But who knows? If it's going to kill you, why bother? (laughs) So Kevin is is uh, he's our sidekick. Uh, He's uh, his mom is from Louisiana, uh, but Kevin was born and raised in California, and he's a, a a budding comedian. And I tried to sprinkle in some comedy uh, to kind of help offset mm-hmm. some of the uh, more serious, uh, scary, uh, you know, topics in the book, and kind of balance that out a little bit. And um, I love love him as a character. He's 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 John's best friend. He's the voice of reason. Uh, mm-hmm. When John wants to go do something, Kevin's the one saying, "Hey, are you sure you want to go do that? That's dangerous or whatever." And um, I really like how he how he came out, and yeah, he's the one that does the initial initial research and finds uh, the the tre- you know about the Lafayette treasure, and that kind of resonates with 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 John and his memories. And it's a yeah, it's a it's a bunch of gold doubloons, um, which are each worth I think twenty five thousand dollars, and there's you know thousands of them in this in this treasure chest. It's a little little cliche as far as the treasure goes uh but uh yeah it'd be worth you know billions of dollars uh today well i could see why people went after it but i can't see why people would want to get killed and die finding it and supposedly if you come near it that's not a good idea yeah most people don't you know curses are not real in the real world that's yeah. not uh that's not scientific but you know when you're in a fictional world you can have curses so uh, you know why not? And the 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 way that the treasure came about, we have a little, you know we sprinkled in some backstory on that too, and mm-hmm. it had to do with there's a there's a rape scene, um, and a beheading and some violence in there, and you know, that type of trauma. If there are such a thing as ghosts who have unfinished business, uh, <laughs> that's the type of um, activities here in the real world that would create a ghost with unfinished activities and a curse on a treasure, I think. But I thought that was a, that was a fun fun component of the story. Well that's what drew me to want to know if anybody ever finds it. And how else and how they would go around doing it. And then somebody with with two personalities, that's that's even worse. That's even harder. So yeah, have, so the the yeah, the, the treasure's cursed, and anybody who goes after it with greedy, egoic intentions will die. Yeah. But if you have if you have uh, lofty goals as far as finding the treasure and sharing it with people and and doing mm-hmm. and helping society, which I would love to see more of, uh, it's kind of a a, a Bill Gates mm-hmm. uh, moral here, where if if you have billions of dollars, you kind of have a, in my opinion, a responsibility to give a lot of that back <clears throat> to try to help people who, who could use help. 
whatever that looks like. That's philanthropy. Uh, whereas some billionaires right now, they they can't seem to get enough jets and cars and women and mansions mm-hmm. and So if you if so the 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 moral of that portion of the story is if you get the treasure, you'll get it. Uh, if you have good intentions of you know once you do obtain that wealth, you know basically give it back. And so that's what uh, that's what our characters maybe end up doing. Uh, if that's how you interpret the ending, but that, that was my my take on it. Yes, it was basically. I mean, I could see where they might want to keep something, but I think that one are giving most of it back because they didn't really earn it; they just found it. But I know a exactly. lot of people that would say, "Well, if somebody gave me a million dollars, I would just spend it on myself." I don't think I need a million dollars to spend on myself. I would probably give it to family members that needed help with something, which yep. is more important. Yep. But most people would think I was crazy to do something like that. So sure. You so put? that's kind of a, another another moral that we kind of threaded in through the through the story. Yeah, there. I got that one. <laughs> so okay. Scott Jones and you brought him in the President John's past. So what? How did he kill Jack? And why did he do that? Uh, well, the 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 curse kind of took it took o- took over his his uh, behavior, and uh, he he saw Jack as a threat to his happiness and him not getting the tre- him getting the treasure. So he got you know greedy, and you know we all have uh, primitive emotions uh, deep inside of us. We all we are all capable of doing horrific things mm-hmm. with these bodies and these minds that we're given. Um, and you know, 99. Point whatever percent of us choose to do, you know, choose to not go down a violent path. But we all have that potential. Um, so if you just kind of turn that on, which the curse ended up doing with Scott, uh, he ended up doing something that would just be un- unimaginable, unthinkable. You know, he killed his best friend with an axe. That's scary. But you know, I've been dealing with so many people in the doing this and other people outside of doing this. And I've listened to people talk, and we talked about this on my um, broadcast on Tuesday night with Trinity mm-hmm. House, and we talk about people that want everything because they, they deserve it and they're entitled. And that that's a, that's a tough word, yeah, because the, they think that they are entitled to everything. It's all coming to them. So if they found a treasure like that, they would feel, well, I found it. I was entitled to have it. Right, that's and, mine. And, that, and and if that was this treasure that they found, they would end up getting killed because that's not what uh, that's not the purpose of the treasure. That's not uh, in alignment with the curse. Yeah, they probably would have gotten what they deserved. <laughs> so tell us about the therapist and how she diagnosed John and why two books. That was fascinating. Uh, yeah. So like I mentioned at the beginning, the this is that scene with the therapist is kind of based on my real world uh, experience with my therapist who, you know, I've, she exposed me to this concept of reincarnation because, and initially I rejected mm-hmm. it. I, I, I said, Oh, you mean like, you know, Shirley McLean and, you know, we all come back as a cow or a bug or, you know, none of that. I didn't know what she was talking about. And again, there's also some, some ignorance out there on, 
what exactly the concept of reincarnation is. And, and you know, no, again, nobody knows for sure what happens when we die, but that, this is just another theory. And uh, she gave me a couple, my therapist gave me a couple books to read. And then I started mm-hmm. um, poking around online and I found these, uh, uh, these videos and there's other books out there about uh, children uh, you know, who have these, these uh, memories. And there's a couple of them that are, it's fascinating. I'll just give you a quick one. Um, again, in the 90s, there was a kid. He was like five, and he had all these memories of a world. He was a, he was saying he was a World War II pilot, and he knew the name of the the, the carrier ship that he was on. He knew where mm-hmm. in the South Pacific he crashed. He knew the name of his best friend. He knew the um, the plane number, the type of plane. He knew the type of engine it had. All these specific details and it's inexplicable how somebody that young who had no access to this information prior uh it's not like his parents sat him down and go here's a world war ii book and you know he memorized that they they can't figure out how this kid got this information and he would make these drawings and he would talk about Mm. how to fly and he he knew all this this information and the only reasonable logical explanation even though it defies common sense and kind of what we're all taught, you know, religiously, um, is that this guy, this kid lived a, a past life and he was shot down in World War II. And there's, there's hundreds of these stories like this. I read one book, they, they just had story after story after story of a scientist who went around the world finding these kids and documenting their experience. And most of them you can explain logically. Um, you know, uh, and it doesn't fit the reincarnation uh, pattern. But there's these, you know, diamonds in the rough, and the guy, the guy approached it from a scientific perspective, and and there's no other explanation. It's just, it's a phenomenon. So I, I know, and I know people that actually believe that. I know people that that think that they were somebody else before, and that there's somebody else now. And once in a while, I say. You should be the other person, seriously. I mean, <laughs> cause, because you're a they're, weird person they're, today. <laughs> you were better before. Try again. I, I know. It's like, really, seriously. So there was a question I just wrote as I'm thinking here. How? What obstacles did they, did he face? What things, you know, could have prevented him from finding anything? And then we'll talk about um, somebody else that's in, that's in his life. That came out of nowhere. Yeah. So since Scott is also looking for the treasure and he's very close to finding it, um, he's got his henchmen that he works with, and he's he's in bed with the local sheriff, and the sheriff works his yeah. way into a cut of the deal. And so those are some obstacles. Uh, those guys do not want John and Kevin to find the treasure. Um, mm. So they do uh, nefarious things to uh, – one of them is they try to – they poison Kevin to try to kill him. And they tried to tried to kill John, but they, uh, the poison mm. didn't um, – he poisoned his coffee. John wasn't thirsty that day, so he didn't drink the coffee. But Kevin went to the I hospital and almost died. Yeah, so, so there's a number of different obstacles there that, they, uh, that John and Kevin faced during the story. Well, that that that's that's scary, because basically, 
I mean, even when you go into um, a bar, I don't drink, so coffee's my thing, or you go yeah. anywhere and you don't know somebody and you leave the drink on the table, don't drink it when you come back. I learned that the hard way a long time ago. For the, mm. the first week I taught ever, they decided that all the, there were like 25 new people besides myself, and we all went to have something after work, and I ordered a club soda, and somebody spiked it with vodka when I went to the bathroom. Oh, and and mm. you can't smell it, so I didn't know. And all of a sudden yeah. I'm saying, why do I feel too happy? And I spilled it out, <laughs> and I went and got another one, and the bartender yeah. said, he pointed to the guy, he says, he just put 17 shots of vodka in your drink. Mm. I was like, I was like, you got to be, I was so sick, forget it. And I stopped talking mm-hmm. and I said, that, that's not even funny. First of all, you don't drink if you're on medication, which I wasn't, but you don't know that. So that mm-hmm. that's scary. So were, were there any weather conditions or anything else that could have, you know, prevented them from doing something? <clears throat> Yeah, so uh, in thrillers, there's always a, uh, a, quote, a ticking time bomb or a ticking clock. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you have to have something there in the background to uh, give a sense of urgency to the story. And in this case, I chose to have a hurricane approaching. Um, I thought that was uh, believable, especially after, you know, Katrina hit back in 2003 or four. Um, so another hurricane. It wasn't wasn't as bad as, as Katrina, but you know you can't be out in a swamp looking for treasure if there's a 150 mile an hour <laughs> winds uh, blowing you around. So so there's that. I, I put that in there to create that sense of urgency for the uh, for the tre- for all the treasure hunters, the protagonists and the antagonists. Well, I I did enough damage over here. That's for sure. Everyone in my parking lot, including us, lost a car because no one said to move it. And the car was flooded. It had to be towed. It cost a fortune to get it towed. And then to get a new car the same day, we were lucky, like two days later. Yeah. But even the last one, uh, Fernando and um, Felipe, and the the last one was Idalia. Idalia, she was named, oh, my God. Everyone lost something. It's horrible. So oh, having yeah. a hurricane made sense. Of course, mm-hmm. you don't want a really bad one where people get killed, but yeah. So tell us more about the history you created. I'm turning the page for the treasure. How did you decide the the value of it, and how did you decide what should be in it? Because I want the gold coins. I could think of a lot yeah, of people so, that would use them. <laughs> I, Maybe the axe, too. I think, yeah, the... Um, I, I collect gold and I, I collect coins. Mm-hmm. I'm a numismatist, and I like um, I like old coins. I like coins from a few hundred years ago. I've got a few from uh, you know a couple of millennia ago, and it's just fascinating to hold something in your hand that's basically a part of history. That uh, you know, however many people have have uh, touched this object over the years, and that's special to me. And old old gold coins are you know very valuable and uh, if I was looking for a treasure and I was willing to risk my life or something I wanted I would want it to make it uh, you know worth quite a bit and uh, so I went online and I looked up you know the value of gold doubloons and what's a reasonable quantity and and a reasonable amount here and you know if the treasure's mm-hmm. only 10 or 
20 million dollars i mean that's a lot of money to most people but that might not be worth losing your life over if you're a, a commercial pilot or a real estate broker and you're already doing pretty well financially but a billion dollars or a couple billion you know that's 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 game changing you might be willing to to um so put your morals aside and kill for it mm. uh for some for some people so um yeah i have a had a whole uh, fun fun story creating the you know where the treasure came from and why it was uh, lost in history well there are a lot of people that would chance it all for money that i do know sure. and as far as yep. making up something as a matter of fact i know people that say i found it first i deserve it when they really didn't find it and they try to get it back from somebody else. There's a lot of greed in this mm-hmm. world, people. So yep. tell us, tell he has two two wives. He has one wife, and then he has Tammy. So what about her? So yeah, John's current wife. Uh, I mean, they're divorced. Uh, that was uh, Margaret. But um, so he's yeah. he's basically single when we start the story. But he was very happily married to the woman of his dreams in his past life. Um, she's the redhead. And, uh, you know, you got to put some thought into, you know, 30 years has passed. You know, I, if I'm in my late 30s, I wouldn't be attracted to a woman who's 95 years old or whatever. Um, mm. so I, had to, I had to look at the numbers. and You know, women in their 60s are still quite attractive if they've taken care of themselves. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they've been doing what they can to, to stay happy and things like that. Um, so if you're... In, and that is an odd uh uh you don't see that every day like a 60 65 year old woman and a 35 year old man but it does happen you know love is blind and uh <laughs> if if you if you if you lived uh if you know if you were married in a in a past life and you loved this woman more than than life itself and life was taken your life was taken away from you because you were murdered and you had an opportunity to meet uh, and and spend the rest of your days with that woman, even though thirty years have passed. Um, you know you share a lot in common. You could you're still in love, mm-hmm. I would think. So, so that's a component of the story. Uh, there is some romance uh, threaded through the the story with the the Tammy uh, John uh, relationship. Well, I like her. So before I forget, <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick, you never know. <laughs> Next Tuesday, uh, the author of Second Term will be here on the 26th. I was honored that he asked for an interview, Gary Braver, Rumor of Evil. On the second, it's a question mark. I usually do seminars with my reading professor. We're talking about the science of reading, and I haven't heard from him. He didn't send me my talking points. I'm getting worried. Um, He's the foremost authority in reading, and he's made me the foremost authority on the new reading system that people really need to uh, look into, even though they addressed it. The science of reading has a lot of cons and just a few pros. On the 6th, the author of Girl on Trial. On the 8th, New York Times author Philip Margolin takes the spotlight with betrayal. And that's just some of November, and it gets even more wild in December, January, and I'm booked until the end of February. So if anybody out there is getting a new, has a new one, you better tell me now because i got to fit you in somewhere. I don't know where, but we'll figure it out. So this, this is really great. Let me turn the page again. And if, if John or Jack could speak, 
because I pretty much went through most of these. John or Jack could speak. Which which one would have the stronger voice? Do you think? Oh, it would be John because he's uh, he's kind of the primary. This is his life. Uh, Jack is dead. Jack, uh, we have Jack's memories, but uh, Jack mm-hmm. is dead. John is alive. So that that's that's different. So how does he feel about himself at the end? I mean, he does he feel he accomplished? And he says his name, and he says where he thinks he lives, and he sort of tells his story. But does he believe it? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I purposely went round and round uh, with the ending on this, and I left mm-hmm. it uh, subject to interpretation. Um, different people will have different uh, takes on the ending and what the ending means to them. And I'm I'm curious. I, I enjoy uh, hearing what um, what readers think. Like I have my take, uh, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Uh, I thought it'd be more fun to kind of leave it open ended. Um, like, you know, what do you think happened? Because at the end of the day, this is something that none of us really understands, mm-hmm. you know, reincarnation. So, so you know, bring your religious beliefs to it. Uh, everybody's a little different. Bring your uh, spiritual philosophies to the to the story. Let me know what you think. I'm I'm interested to see what uh, what your take is on, on how it ended and what the story meant to you. It's sort of like a question mark, especially right. when I'm looking at, what page number is this? There's no page number one here. Uh, the one right before the epilogue. And I won't say what you wrote at the end, and I'm going like, what? And he, it says he <laughs> folded his, his arms to his chest, glanced at the nurse, looked at him, then prouded, and he said the year, whatever. And then you wrote something, and I'm going, wait a minute. Then we got to go back to 2016 and John Beckman. So you sort of left it. It could be it ended there. Or it ended here, which is which is crazy. Yep, you won't uh, you won't know. This, and this is the plot yeah. twist. There's several minor twists, but the, the big plot twist doesn't happen till the very last sentence. <laughs> so uh, but, I know. But at the same time, you're like like wait what? And I I I, I had a, an entirely different ending written, and I I gave mm-hmm. it to my wife, and she's like she's like no. This is way too predictable. It's boring. Uh, we want something, you know, better. And I'm like, oh, so I didn't know what to put. And I, I, I took me about three weeks to think about it. And then, and then I went for a walk, and and then it hit me. I was like, oh, oh, what if we did this and that? And oh, yeah, let's do that. And I went home and I typed up the ending and I gave it to my wife. And she, she said, okay, there we go. That's a, that's a lot better. She's my alpha reader. My my wife and um, so so uh, that's what we have in in the current iteration of of the story. It's a it's it's a, I think a satisfying ending. There's closure, but at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, there's a there's a big there's a question mark there. Like, what exactly happened? Um, and then and then you can interpret what you think what you think happened. That's true because each person that I'm looking at thinks about him in a different way. One thinks about him mm-hmm. as one, and one thinks about him as something else. And it matters right. as to whether who he thinks he is at the end. And I won't tell you that at all. But it, if this is, I mean, the title of my new book, if it ever gets edited, it will scare the daylights out of people. It's called Mirror Image, and I just thought about this just now in relationship mm-hmm. to your book. Um, sure, sure, people yeah. look in the mirror 
and they see a distorted face. The distorted face is their face because they've done something horrible, could be to steal a treasure, could be to hurt someone, or even worse, to do something on purpose so that someone becomes disfigured. So you look at the mirror and you see what you're going to look like if you don't correct what you do. So you have the chance to do the whole thing over, and if you don't, you wind up with a face in the mirror. For real. Oh, nice. I like it. Yeah. I hope so. I hope everybody likes it when it finally gets edited. So if if John Jack could look in the mirror, which image would he see? Would he see both, or would he just see one? Because that would be really cool to see if he saw both images at the same time and then decided which one he wanted. Maybe he wants a third one. <laughs> right. Uh, that's a great question. I, I My gut is uh, if he looked in the mirror uh, today, he would see John because, again, that he's – John is alive, Jack's dead, and he just has Jack's memories. But yeah, what if he uh what if he sees uh, kind of a ghost image of Jack kind of there also? That would be trippy. But what the trick is would he remember? So I'm trying to figure because I read pretty much all of your questions, I'm going through this. And um there was there an animal in this one? There was a a dog in this this story? Oh yeah, Charlie? there was a dog. Um uh, yeah, I had a dog, and uh, I learned the hard way: you don't kill your dog. Uh, my no. editor said she she, she read. She, yeah, I did. I had originally. And she said she mm-hmm. threw the manuscript against the wall when she read that, and I was like, "Oh, uh, I didn't get the memo that you're not supposed to kill your dog." So, uh, in the in the the new version, uh, the dog just gets wounded uh, and he and he lives, but we don't know that, and so that's another source of tension. I saw that. Um, yeah. So, but and then we have some uh, what are called nutria. Uh, they're mm-hmm. they're native to the Louisiana bayous. They're the size of cats, but they're they're rats. Uh, they're large mammals, um, and there's lots of them, and they bite. So those uh, we have a scene where those are coming uh, coming out of the water, uh, trying to get uh, to dry land when the approaching hurricane is is on its way. Yeah. In. So, yeah. Well, the hurricane was a very clever way of what it did to people that whatever deserve whatever. So that was yeah, nice. I like that part. Thank you. I did like that part. I said it's better than. People getting killed by guns or stuff, well, you know, every hurricane has its victims. We know that. And every right. hurricane is going to cause damage. That's probably why I hide when there's a hurricane. <laughs> I don't even want to know. Mm-hmm. Sure. And during sure, Katrina, yeah. you couldn't even get in. I had to go give my mom her medicine, and I couldn't walk down because the stairs were flooded and the elevator wasn't mm-hmm. working. So I said, what am I supposed to do, climb down the terrace? I had to pray that the home health aide yeah. would do me a favor because they're not supposed to give medicine. Only only I could. Right. But at mm-hmm. that point, I didn't care. So what is, I'm looking at, by all accounts, the treasure, Fatali legend, and the folklore that had built up over the years, how did that come into play with the with the gold pieces? And what would anybody do with with billions of dollars of gold pieces? I'm just thinking about that. What, what would you do with all of that? Let's say you decided you didn't get killed. What would you do if you could keep it? What would anybody do with billions of dollars of gold or billions of dollars? Why would you need well, it? Well, that's a great that's a great question. So, yeah, what would you do? Uh, I know what I would do. I know what my characters would do. But what would you know? What would any of us do? And that's something fun that uh, the reader can can explore as they're as they're reading the book. Like, hey, what if what if I was John and 
I went through this journey with him and and mm-hmm. I ended up getting the treasure. Uh, what, what would I do? Would I give it away? Would I keep it all? Would I keep half? Um, you know, so it was fun for me to to go through that exercise, and I was hoping the uh, the reader can go through that exercise as well. It, it's Mental it's exercise. a hard one. Well, I know yeah. that if I have I have something that's pending, I can't say one on the air, but I know that if, if I get what I deserve, which is whatever, um, I can give it to my brother, and some people in go. my family that need help. And right. since I went through everything with my mom, when my mom died, to be honest, this I can say, between Medicaid giving me 12 hours, which wasn't enough, to getting home health aids 24-7, because my mother made me sign a, a notarized thing that I would never put him in a nursing home. And I said to her, Mom, why did I do that? I mean, I must have been insane when I did that. But um, yeah. she had no sense of humor. But... um I was in debt a half a million dollars from her home health yeah. Aid, home health care. Yeah, it cost five thousand to six thousand dollars a month for for twelve hours, uh, for ninety six hours every single night. And you wonder. And I wouldn't take it from anybody. Just about six months ago, I paid it off all by myself, no help, nothing. And you know what? It makes you feel feel good. But I wonder if people in anybody's family. Even these politicians that want more money and raises, and they just raise the bus fare up here. They just raise the tolls up here, for real. And then they're raising um, electricity and a whole bunch of other stuff up here. Because when they Mm -hmm. fix something, you have to pay for it. In my building, they're remodeling the laundry laundry room, if they ever get done. And they're going to charge more to to clean your clothes. And I said to my husband, it's cheaper to take it down the street. Yeah, to do it yourself down the street. But it's everything. And it bothers me that this world has become so um, materialistic and so in love with, I I can get this if I get this and I deserve this. And then you have these young people, I'm going to make a million dollars doing this, and they wind up doing nothing. So how do we change the mindset of people? It's not the money. it's It's what you do for people in your job that has a meaning. At least I did for 30 million years. And I know that because my students are on Facebook and they tell me every day that without me, they wouldn't be where they are today. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it's, it, uh, it is, it's a great it question. Is nice. and, and, uh, yeah, it's a great question to, and a great topic to discuss. So we, we could spend a whole other hour on uh, uh, how money doesn't buy happiness and um, – yeah. You know, what 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 would be people a lot of times they think, you know, if I had ten million dollars I would I can now I can do this or now I can do that. When in reality, uh you don't need you don't need money, uh it's been my experience, to, to be happy, to feel joy. Um everything you have is inside of you. It's just a matter of cutting through the clutter and the social programming that we all have and you know, finding that inner peace. And you can have that whether you're in survival mode, or you're a mm-hmm. multi-billionaire. Because uh, at the end of the day, we're all going to live a few decades, and then that's it. We go back to the earth, uh, the physical being that we have, and it uh, doesn't matter how much money you have. So we might as well live for every day, for every hour, every moment. Just live in the now as much as we can and and try to find as much joy in life. That's really the meaning, and, and try to help people like you're doing with your radio program. That's a great example. 
and try to try to help and give back and and uh, give money, give time, give whatever you can to to help your fellow mm-hmm. man and, and and the planet or you know whatever your your purpose and your cause is. Uh, that's, that's I, my opinion. I agree. That's how I see it. Yeah. Well, I did when my mom died, and every year I give something to Alzheimer's. And my sister died nice. of um, massive heart attack, we think. We're not really sure. There's a lot of question marks there. So I give to the Heart Association in her, in her memory. And oh, nice. It's, it, it's just me. I don't know why. I just do it. And then on everybody, yeah. my cousin like thinks of Looney Tunes. On, when, on the day the person died in my family, I write a poem to their memory to remind everybody in my family that without these people, you wouldn't be where you are today, especially my grandfather. Sure. It's, right. yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, you just, too, but people are so concerned with monetary things that, I mean, I know people that say, if I don't, I don't, I, if a million dollars, I don't have to work, um, I'll get it from my mother and father. A lot of uh, young people are enabled, not my family, but they are. And they feel yeah. that, you know, it's coming to them. So how do you take, you know, I interviewed Trinity House, um, dot dot net on Tuesday and you would love that because the music and the message is exactly what you're saying exactly what Mm -hmm. you're saying and the song was Mm -hmm. called I Believe in You and I listened to it yeah I listened to it all the songs are um, different kind of spiritual songs and I listened to it before I did the interview and I said you know what it's going to be okay because I believe in me too and it's it's like weird just the simplest thing the simplest thing could make you could make you feel better, and I actually sent mm-hmm. the link to my next door neighbor who's going through something, and she said, "Yeah, it made her feel better too." So we complain to each other. It's great. It's really good. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, who would you say, besides John or Jack, was the most powerful character in Jack or John's life besides Kevin? I love Kevin. Oh, good. Um, thank you. So I would say Tammy. Um, you know his his wife from from the from the 60s and 70s uh, when he lived lived on Earth as Jack. Um, she's a force under herself. She's a strong female character. Uh, she's mm-hmm. she's a teacher, and um, uh-huh. she's a you know she's beautiful inside and out, and uh, she's got a big heart. Got lots of love and lots of capacity for for loving, and uh, she's in this you know, horrific relationship with her. She ended up marrying the the murderer uh, Scott. Yeah. Because um, he's a, he's a con artist and he's manipulative and stuff, and so she's in an abusive relationship with him, and um, and all that love and beauty and stuff is suppressed, and so there's an opportunity there when um, she leaves Scott and you know finds love again with her, <laughs> the spirit of her her original husband who's now, you know, John and this guy, you know, 30 years her her you know, younger than her. Um she just she's overwhelmed with emotion as I think all of us would be we can imagine if if we were in that, you know, fictional scenario. Yeah, I can understand that. And I can understand also that you get you meet somebody and you really my last question before I ask the last question. Um you meet somebody, or people meet somebody, even John meets somebody, and all of a sudden there's somebody there that says, well, you're not good enough because you don't have enough money, or your parents don't mm-hmm. have enough, and we're looking for somebody that can support this other person until they get the college degrees they want. 
And that that's another thing. I mean, you 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 are your bank account. I don't think so. But in this particular no. case, I've met people that have said that you are your bank account, and if your parents can't afford this, and I can afford more, then which way is this person going to go? And you often mm-hmm. know they're going to go to the to the for the money, and that and that's what's really sad because you don't know if the person's going to be happy with somebody that has a lot of money, and I don't mean just a little. So. I learned a lot yep. listening today. So what is next okay. for you, and where can we find out more about you and your work? And this book, um, there's a handout for this one, for real. Um, I give my mm-hmm. books away to other people or to mm-hmm. organizations that need books, but except that I have to remind everybody, I write in them. And sometimes I cross out words, circle passages. That's why I get all these questions because I go back afterwards. Nobody, yeah, nobody can read on? these. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, yeah, somebody said that to, to me. Yeah, you can go, uh, Fran, to our uh, my website jlukebenecke dot com. It's b e n n e c k e dot com. Um, all of my books are available there. Um, they're available on any major retail online outlet, Walmart. Mm-hmm. Target.com, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. Uh, we're available in four formats: got paperback, hardcover, audio, and ebook. And this is my third published novel. I have my fourth novel is with um, Terry Wolf uh, with AKA Literary, and she's going to be shopping that um, to the the big five uh, publishers starting January. Uh, oh, nice. uh, hopes are high that uh, something fun will happen out of that. And then I have um, a fifth novel that I just finished uh, the, the developmental edit on. It's a sci-fi thriller called Time Goggles. And I'm having oh, nice. fun uh, going down that path. So it's a, a different type of a protagonist. It's a strong female protagonist. And um, I'm having a lot of fun with, with that one. So, um, And I've got some short stories I'm working on, too. Uh, we're going to start uh, getting those out there as freebies uh, to people who are on our mailing list. So if you want to join our mailing list, you can go to the website, join the mailing list. We have a monthly newsletter we put out with uh, updates and give give away. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we gave away some free signed copies of books and and some bookmarks and things like that on Facebook Live. So we try to have fun with uh, with our fans and uh, you know, try to grow the following. So if you, if you enjoy the book, I'll tell your friends. So we always appreciate a, a Nice, honest five star review on Amazon. Well, you'll get well, you'll uh, get that later. For, for any of the books. I didn't, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't forget. It's just that my computer doesn't love me all the time, so it's a good thing that I I you know I type my reviews on my notepad or on my phone. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. Then I send them to my six emails and pray that they don't disappear. Then I put it on right. my Word. And then it disappears, and then I get upset, and I do it again. And I spell corrected, grammarly corrected, everything. And then when I post it on my Just Reviews, I go like, how did that get there? Where did I spell that right wrong? I didn't do that. So I'm right. going to post it later, my my 9,000-word review. I think I got this straight pretty much. And I will also um, put it on Amazon. And I have to, I'll send the link to Gina because she says I have to send the link for the show to her. First, and if you get it, if you write a new one, make sure you email me and let me know so I can put you in my schedule again. Okay, sounds good, Fran. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Everybody have a great day. Stay positive, and bye. Okay, take care. Bye.